0: In 1979, Brenda Spencer opened fire on an elementary school. When questioned about the incident, she responded simply, I don't like Mondays. Those four words inspired the Boomtown Rats to pen their most iconic song, and Monday Morning Drive Time Radio was never the same. This week, I'm joined by Andrew of the band Five Iron Frenzy to discuss if the Boomtown Rats brought the one hit thunder or if the silicone chips inside all of our heads are just switched to overload.
1: all you need to make the money guaranteed and you can live off royalties forever and it makes you wonder is it
0: just a
1: wonder or is it one hit thunder?
0: all right so boontown rats you yeah, picked this one i did i did boontown rats band origin they formed out in dublin 1975 and it's a reference of a gang of children in the autobiography bound of glory so fun fact for me i've actually i had never heard the song until you suggested it
1: all right wow
0: really yeah and and like (laughs) it feels weird because it's kind of a big deal yeah uh but i loved it. it it's got like a very like If Elvis Costello sang an ELO type vibe. Yeah. What's your history with the song?
1: So it's funny because I remember this song from when I was really little back in like, I think it was the eighties. It was kind of a hit. Yeah. I mean, so I grew up on the East Coast and we would listen to WMMR and WISP. And I can't remember which one was the heavier rock station and which one was like the normal rock station.
0: If it's like it is right now, YSP is the heavier one. Okay, yeah. So it was probably
1: WMMR, and um, I just remember listening to the radio in the mornings, and I'm, you know, getting ready for school, and then also listening to it in my mom's car, listening to the radio in my mom's how what was it like a seventy four or seventy five gold Buick Skylark. you know also mtv they had a video on mtv as well but i never i never knew what the song
0: was actually about oh we've i mean we are going to dive into that yeah yeah
1: i i I never knew what it was about until probably i got really into like true crime stuff and i don't remember whether it was on a podcast or something like that or maybe a book i was reading or an audio book i can't remember but i remember them talking about it and bringing it up, bringing that song up and just being, you know, gobsmacked. Just like I had no idea. That's I thought it was just about
0: hating getting up to go to school in the morning yeah, you know, <laughs> or go to work. It's weird because if you like listen to it while you're reading the lyrics, you can definitely catch like little tiny references. But let's dive into that first. Let's dive into the origins of this of what the song's about, because it's actually a pretty like heavy topic yeah so it's about basically the first school shooting yeah in the united states yeah so it was it was in california i believe in 1979 at the cleveland elementary school in san diego and like the song came out in 1979 so this is like this is like immediate this is this is almost like you know when all those country songs were coming out about september 11th by like november of that year so what i read when i was doing some research on this and i'm sure you also did research because you're the one that kind of tipped me off on what the song was about Mm -hmm. but the song came about after he read the report of the shooting and for those listening who don't know it was uh brenda brenda spencer yeah she fired at school children on the playground and ended up killing the custodian and the principal injured several children as well yeah, and she showed absolutely no remorse. So the police came and interviewed her for a motive, and her answer was...
1: I, I don't like Mondays. I was bored.
0: Yeah, like, it it's such a nihilistic reaction to something. You've written some songs, you've written some poems. Could you imagine, like, hearing that story and just being like, I think I'm going to pen a hit, a worldwide hit based around this? Right. I mean, <laughs> right. we wrote A New
1: Hope. Five Irons, Frenzy did? Yeah. That song's about Columbine, and that one was about, because our, uh, our guitar player, Micah, his sister was there, um, and she was barricaded in the, uh, I believe it was a choir room. I remember us, we were in Nashville at the time, and we were all in a hotel room huddled around the TV, watching this thing take place, and Micah hadn't heard from his sister.
0: affected us yeah this is um, across the seas out yeah, in dublin
1: yeah <laughs> so it certainly is a different situation but um it's just it's amazing to me that this was such a hit and it and no and like i don't think anyone really knew what it was about except apart from like bob geldoff and and the rest of the band
0: yeah and the weird thing is basically it was a hit everywhere except for the united states it was a very low charting hit Mm -hmm. like it was number one so the numbers that i have here is that it it peaked at number 73 on the billboard hot 100 which like if you get on the hot 100 it's a hit no matter where you place but it's pretty low but then it was number one in the uk it was number one in ireland it was number one in australia it was number two in sweden and the neverland netherlands number three in norway and new zealand and number four in canada Mm -hmm. so like this was a massive hit everywhere else right and the band continued to be like hit makers in Ireland and the UK. But this was really their only blip on the radar in the, in these states.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, most people like if if people know who Bob Geldof is, they usually are like, oh, yeah, that's the guy from Live Aid or oh, yeah, he was the guy that was in Pink Floyd, The Wall.
0: He wrote, do do they know it's Christmas? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do they know it's Christmas? The thing that's also weird is that, you know, he's known for the Live Aid concerts. And that was actually the place of the last major Boomtown Rats performance. That was essentially both a charity event and their farewell show, which I mean, hell of a farewell show to play, I guess. Right. And I believe I remember hearing that they infamously were the band that played immediately after Queen like rocked everyone's faces off at Live Aid. It right. was like what a tough act to follow as well. I'm
1: old I'm old enough to I actually watched that on TV live.
0: What was that like like Live Aid was just one stage, right? Like I guess in my brain, I think of festivals and stuff like that as like multiple stages, was it was it was just one main stage the whole day, right?
1: I, I don't recall, actually, whether it was just one big main stage. I just, I remember Queen and I believe, didn't the Beatles do something too? I think they I
0: think they did. Some of them did. Yeah, right? I
1: think they got together and did like, I think it was for maybe Paul McCartney's set. Something like that. That was a big deal. Led Zeppelin, I think, got to back together for that also with a different drummer. The Who played there. It was a big deal.
0: So was this when you were living in Philadelphia still, or had you moved by this point?
1: Uh, no, I was still in Philadelphia, and um, if my some of my facts are wrong, don't you know? I can I can hear the comments already now. Um, <laughs> if, uh, it was a long time ago for me, so I don't fully remember the entire experience of sitting in my living room and watching this these concerts. But
0: this is a pretty stacked card. Like I'm looking at it right now. And so the the list of performances, that's the London one. Let's see. what. Well, the London one did have uh, Paul McCartney with David Bowie and Pete Townsend and a whole bunch of people just to sing Let It Be. Mm-hmm. Elton John was there. The Who, David Bowie, Queen, Dire Straits, U2. Oh, yeah. Um, David
1: Bowie and Queen did Under Pressure. That's right.
0: Yeah. But then, yeah, then we go with the Philly one. The Philly show had The Hooters played their two hits. Mm-hmm. The Four Tops were there. Billy Ocean, Black Sabbath, Run DMC, Rick Springfield, Ario Speedwagon, Crosby, Stills & Nash, Judas Priest, Brian Adams, The Beach Boys, George Theragood featuring Bo Diddley, The Pretenders, Santana, Madonna, Tom Petty, Kenny Loggins, The Cars, Neil, this is a stacked-ass yeah. show, right? Yeah, yeah, here. yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it was a big deal. Insane. And that was
1: all Bob Geldof did put it the whole
0: thing together. Like that's, that was his, that was his baby. And I mean, he continued to do charitable work for, for years after that. I think he was even like kind of knighted or something because of his charitable works, which is really, really cool. And then, you know, this song, uh, when I was doing some research on the history of it was also covered by Tori Amos. It was covered by a couple, it says the X Factor contestants, G4 also recorded a cover for this. Uh, So, I mean, that makes sense because I think X Factor is based in the UK. Mm -hmm. So, of course, if this song was like a number one hit and, you know, looks like the Boontown Rats had a couple hits in Ireland and the UK, of course, you'd be like, yeah, I want to cover I Don't Like Mondays. Yeah, maybe Five Iron should cover it. I think. Why not?
1: (laughs) Why not? I could see Dennis singing. it. I think his vocal quality, like his his tonality of his voice fits a little more because he's got that kind of 80s. You know, like like uh, spe- he's uh he's got that like specials type of in, in English beat type of tone in his voice. He sounds a little bit like Danny Elfman sometimes, too, I think.
0: <laughs> I can hear that. Yeah. So here's the thing that's weird about this. So so I, I don't want to go hard back on this, but still. So the the shooting happened in 1979 mm-hmm. and the song was released in 1979. The other thing about this, though, is that the song was actually just intended to be a B side but the band changed their mind seeing how successful the song was playing with U S audiences on their tour. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to like, again, it feels like it's such a quick turnaround time of like this event happens. They write the song, they're touring and playing the song. They're getting a vibe for how the crowd likes the song. And then they're recording it and releasing it as a single. Like it, that seems like a whole lot to pull off within the same calendar year. Oh yeah, for sure the record industry was so different
1: back then and your single was what you had, especially for a new band. You know what I mean? When you think back, like, well, at least when I think back, you know, that's why there in the eighties, there were so many one hit wonders because, you know, there were a lot of albums that would come out and 90, you know, 75% to 90% of the record was garbage except for, the two singles or whatever that were on there. So really, um, you know, it would make sense for a band back then to be like, no, this is the song that is, that is tracking with people. We need to go and make sure this is the best song possible and release it that way. I mean, it makes sense in that, in that regard, you know what I mean?
0: yeah and i think to further like back that up is if you look at what like the best selling singles were in 1979 i have four songs here that were like the top four selling singles that year and at least two of them are definite one hit wonders Mm -hmm. is you had heart of glass by blondie not a one-hit wonder Mm -hmm. i will survive by gloria Gaynor, absolutely a one-hit wonder pop music by m again also definitely a one-hit wonder oh, And stuff by donna summer yeah i remember that song i remember pop music because i think it became also the theme song to pop up video <laughs> um, oh, but wow
1: pop up video <laughs> i used to
0: love pop up video man there's certain shows from that like mtv vh1 peak that i definitely think could still make a solid comeback as like a YouTube series and I would, if there was a pop-up video YouTube channel that I could subscribe to and every day I get a new one, I would do it so fast.
1: Oh yeah, definitely (laughs) not to get off on a bunny trail, but have you heard the audio of from thriller from the making of thriller when Michael Jackson's character is turning into the werewolf? The actual audio, not like the overdubbed audio that you. Yes, yes,
0: that. yeah. Where where it's Michael Jackson doing the yelling instead of like the overdubbed, like monster voice.
1: I, I, I laughed way harder than I should have. At
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Turn it around. Ow.
1: Bring it down again. We'll do it again. We're still rolling. You need more spritz. Okay. What
0: was that? Alright, cut. Which one was it? Over here. Ow! Ow! I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time a secular religion, if you will, with their universal
1: appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez,
0: host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Not the thriller music video, but the half-hour making of thriller oh, music yeah. video that used to play afterwards because it was like that was my first introduction to like the concept of American Werewolf in London. Oh yeah, I had no clue that that was a movie, but I saw that doc when I was maybe I had to be like five, and I was like, oh my god, what is this? <laughs> like, who is yeah. John Landis? What? Who's a Tom Savini? Yeah. <laughs> like... Oh my god,
1: Tom Savini, he's a god <laughs> in my book, dude. But the,
0: you know, you... and here's the thing.
1: Dude, is that every time you and I end up talking, we always end up talking about horror movies and
0: horror it's stuff. Got, I mean, it's got it. Listen, I might be the producer of One Hit Thunder, but deep down in my heart, I'm still the host of horror movies. Right. 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 <laughs> so, talking about horror again and back to the song, um, something that I did research, that I thought was really, really interesting about this specific song is that Brenda Spencer's family tried very unsuccessfully to keep the song from even being released in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the argument that they were, Bob was able to make was like, we don't say anybody's name. Yeah. And like you said, you had no clue what this was about until years later. Yeah. So it would be ridiculous for them to like, even be able to try to, to explain why this shouldn't be allowed to be released. But he's later admitted that he regretted writing the song really because Brenda Spencer wrote to him and said, thank you for making me famous. Yeah. She's, and it was like
1: she, I'm telling you, I don't know if you've ever, because I went down a rabbit hole when I found out about what the song was actually about, and uh, you know I have to know all of the things about you know so so I went down this YouTube rabbit hole of like you know interviews with Brenda Spencer, and um, there was recently she was up for parole, and that was a big deal because she I think she was trying to actually get paroled, and. Um, Of course, they denied her parole, but, uh, I mean, she's, she's a psychopath. I mean, I'm saying that clinically, I feel like she checks all the boxes of a
0: psychopath. Oh, 100%. I mean, just from that motive. Yeah. I mean, like, it's one thing if you're just a 16 year old using that as a motive, but it feels like all these years later, there's still really no remorse for anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a, it's a bad, bad sign clearly the silicone chip inside her head got switched to overload. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Which is really the only, like I'm looking at these lyrics and like you said, it's all the references to it are so subtle. You know, no one's going to go to school today. She's going to make them stay at home Mm -hmm. is probably like the, the biggest like direct hinting to what's happening in the song until you get to like the bridge where it's like the lesson today is how to die. Right. But this is, this is one of those really interesting poppy upbeat songs with really dark, dark, uh, background.
1: Right. Cause she was living with her dad, right?
0: Yeah. Who lived across the
1: street from the school. Yeah. And he just had like, what was a 22, I think a 22 rifle. It was a pretty low caliber gun, which is probably fortunate for anyone that was at the school because did limited damage, but I mean, how far, I mean, I guess this isn't, this is the first like elementary school shooting, but, I, yeah, but it's... um, what it was 1960 something or other, the Texas A&M bell tower so. shooting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely the I bell mean, tower shooting. There had been,
1: and I remember when I was a kid, a small, uh, uh, suburb of Philadelphia, I guess it's not a small suburb, but Ridley, uh, Ridley park. We used to go to the Springfield mall to go shopping. Yeah. There was a shooting in the springfield there, mall. There was a shooting there. And I remember that. And I was in, I was in, um, grade school at the time.
0: And that's, I mean, that's literally five, 10 minutes from my house. And there was another shooting there, uh, maybe a couple, maybe a year ago. Really? Um, nothing, nothing crazy. It was like a fight broke out and oh. then it went out into the parking lot and someone pulled out a gun. Right. And shot it. But the one like, in the
1: eight and it was, it was either late seventies, early eighties.
0: Yeah. It like, was someone walking around. It in was a
1: lady and she went in there and she was like fully armed. Yeah. It was,
0: I, I know it was, it was Christmas of 84. I want to say. Mm. And the only reason I know that is because, my friend, one of my best friends' mom was pregnant with her, and at the mall when it happened.
1: Didn't she throw like smoke bombs and stuff
0: too, or yeah, she like she and stuff? Yeah, it was insane, and I didn't know that story until a couple of years ago because I mean I wasn't born when it happened, and certainly wasn't something my parents were just going to casually bring up when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, we were talking about Columbine, but I was in elementary, or no, I was in middle school when Columbine happened. Mm-hmm. I was in eighth grade. And I remember the first day back to school after that was like, it was surreal, because yeah. I had never imagined something like that would ever be a thing. Because they didn't really talk about school shootings. Yeah. before that. Yeah. One of the ironically, actually one of the episodes. So, you know, I people who listen to the show know that I produce a ton of shows. And one of the shows I produce. My favorite episode of we just did an episode on Buffy the Vampire Slayer earshot, Mm -hmm. which is an episode that infamously got pulled because it was scheduled to air the day after Columbine and it involves a school shooting. And there's a line of dialogue, which is really eerie to think about because they shot it maybe, you know, obviously a TV show, you film it months to a year before it airs but Seth Green's character says school shootings, that's that's about to become super untrendy anyway. And like, little do we know that was like, you know, it was about to get way more prevalent than we ever imagined it was going to be.
1: Yeah. But there was also the McDonald's shooting in California. Did you ever see that? No. Some dude that went into McDonald's and just opened fire on all of these people that were in there children and all kinds of stuff man and he had them all locked barricaded in there they couldn't get out people were playing dead and stuff
0: and it was uh the the port arthur massacre in in tasmania uh was april 1996 okay so before columbine yeah it's crazy. And and it, again, I, I actually do applaud the Boomtown Rats for for writing about the subject, but doing it in such a, a creative and subtle way. Right. Because it is one of those things where, like you said, like first listen, you would never imagine. But really, when you look at the lyrics and you break the song down, there's just so many lines as I keep staring at this lyric sheet that are jumping out at me. You know, Sweet 16 ain't that peachy keen and stuff like that. Just these little little references little digs in into the psyche of of brenda spencer yeah which one of the things i did see i don't know how much i I never know how much i can trust genius rap lyrics (laughs) like when i go on rap genius for for song breakdowns Uh but it says that most recently she said that she feels partially responsible for every school shooting that's happened since um which is i think the closest we've ever seen to any type of remorse from her but like that still doesn't really strike strike me as true remorse. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, if, are you a fan of the Boontown Rats as a whole, or has it always just been this one specific song that stuck out to you? It's
1: just this one song, really. I mean, I've I've never taken the time to listen to any other other songs. Um, so uh, I did. I I, did? I checked
0: out some of their stuff. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's good. It's it's um. I would say it's very it is very in the vein of the 80s music that I like. So it has a little bit of like a Dixie's Midnight Runner, a little bit of a Elvis Costello and like a hint of the police. Yeah, it's very like reggae S like reggae inspired new wave. Yeah, was the vibe that they mostly went with.
1: Yeah, I've only ever really listened to that tune. Um, I should go back and listen to more of their catalog. I mean, yeah, you know, like I said, like just just you know i just remember man i wish i could remember why that song stuck out in my head so much when it when that i started going down this rabbit hole but i think it was just that i, I they were talking about it, i was like they can't be talking about the same song i'm thinking of
0: yeah and then and you're like i have to check and find out right
1: right yeah i mean it reminds me a little bit of of the police a little bit it's very stripped down Type stuff you know Um, yeah which is that's the kind of stuff that i like so
0: i feel like this song has to be one of those songs where like you know how like there's those radio stations that like every friday at five o'clock they play like bang on the drum all day or like working for the weekend or something like there has to be i guarantee this is one of the songs at some radio station somewhere like kicks off their morning Monday radio show with I don't like Mondays every single week
1: and having absolutely no clue as to oh, what the song is not about. at all <laughs> <laughs>
0: not, not at all well the thing that's interesting is I had mentioned earlier that this was covered by Tori Amos uh are you a Tori Amos fan at all
1: not really I, i'm not I, I wouldn't say i'm i dislike her i just neither here nor there for me
0: Okay, uh, I, dated and that's...
1: A, I dated a girl once that was a big Tori Amos fan, but that's about as much as I've listened to Tori Amos was her stuff.
0: Yeah, and I'm kind of like, I've enjoyed select songs from her, but the, the album that this cover appeared on was on one of what I thought was the more unique albums she ever put out, which was called Strange Little Girls. Mm-hmm. And it was a concept slash cover album. And the entire album was her covering songs written by men about violence. So like, Don't Like Mondays by the Boontown Rats was on there. Happiness is a Warm Gun by the Beatles. Raining Blood by Slayer was one of the covers. Wow. Uh, Eminem, 97, Bonnie and Clyde. Like she just covered all these different topics. So it's she knew what the song was about at least. She understood what I don't like Mondays was really being sung about. And I don't remember this cover at all. So I'm definitely gonna make it a point to to revisit her reinterpretation of it sooner rather than later. Just another weird fun fact about I'll have to listen <laughs> about to that this record song. now because
1: that is really interesting. There was another song that popped in my head when you when you said that. Um, uh, now it's escaping me. I feel like there's a song about like Lizzie Borden also.
0: I listened to enough like <laughs> 80s hair metal that there's plenty of songs that pop into my head about Lizzie Borden. Right, <laughs> but... <laughs>
1: right.
0: <laughs> it's a very popular topic and also the name of a band yeah. who did some really great songs for a movie called Black Roses. Uh, didn't
1: um, didn't Krayla Filth write a bunch of songs about like Elizabeth Bathory and... I'm sure. And,
0: uh, I'm sure. I mean, that's that's like asking me if like Ca- Cannibal Corpse wrote some songs about murder. <laughs> like, right. I'm sure that they did. <laughs>
1: like, right, right, right.
0: <laughs> when we're talking about the song, when we're, when we're analyzing it, at the end of the day, our goal is to decide if we think that this song was a one-hit blunder, which means that it had no right being as popular as it was, or if this song brought the one-hit thunder. Now, I know what my thoughts are, but obviously I want the guest to go first. Where do you feel like I don't like Monday's Falls in the blunder-to-thunder scale?
1: I think it's a great song. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, this may mark me as a mentally disturbed person i don't know but i like it more knowing what it's about now
0: yeah i agree i think that knowing the story behind it it adds depth yes depth, adds depth is depth a perfect the perfect word for it it really like elevates the song to a next level so i'm definitely giving it my seal of approval is thunder as well that's all i really i wish that this was like a band that i was more passionate about uh-huh. because we could go on and on but I mean, from the few songs that I checked out, I do recommend like listeners, if you listen to Don't Like Monday and you like it, keep digging in because they do have a pretty interesting catalog. But uh, I also want to take a couple seconds to plug you. So most people who are listening probably know you as the drummer from Five Iron Frenzy, but you're also an author. You've got a collection of poems that have been released under the title October and you have a novel called Little. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about the the poems and the, the novel?
1: Sure, I could talk a little bit about that. Um, it's it, I wouldn't call it a novel. It's a children's book. It's like something like 38 pages or something like that about a little girl who uh, encounters something very terrifying to her, and she has to find the courage and strength within herself to, you know, battle this this big scary thing. October is a collection of. of Poetry a lot of it's pretty morose stuff. I was uh, When I wrote a lot of this stuff. I was in a pretty dark place. So naturally that was what came out Um, I'm still writing poetry. I'm still working on writing. Uh, I have a couple of uh, works that I'm currently working on Um, And then of course Five Iron has I don't know. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say but I'll just say that five iron has some things going on relates to this song a little bit, uh, in the same way that, um, a new hope does.
0: All right. The
1: song, "A new hope. So,
0: and obviously I guess if people are fans of five iron, check out the website, you guys are always playing these random little weekend tours and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and popping up in random cities. So,
1: yeah, we usually, we play a lot of shows with MXPX. Um, um, I also did a project a while back, um, with Leonor and Scott and, uh, Matt Langston from 11d7 and, um, um, it's called, uh, the fast feeling and it's, it's kind of, kind of, it's kind of got a cool eighties vibe. So definitely check that out as well
0: i definitely checked that stuff out and i really i think i messaged you as soon as i found it and was like yo this stuff is like it's super 80s i loved it i loved it yeah so definitely check that out especially if you're digging the boontown rat sound and want some modern 80s that is what what was the name of the band again the fast way the fast feeling the fast feeling yeah fast way Not, not to be confused with Fastway, the band that uh, the lead singer Flogging Molly was in that did all the music for Trick or Treat. (laughs) To tie it back to horror movie. Oh my gosh! (laughs) All right, well, thank you so much for for jumping in and joining us on this week's episode of One Hit Thunder, Andrew.
1: Yeah, man, thanks for having me.
0: This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is produced by Matt Kelly as part of the Geekscape Network and hosted by Christopher Faleos of the band's Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah. You can hear my white collared shirt off the Punchline album Just Say Yes playing underneath me right now. Due to unexpected global pandemic, Antifest has been postponed, and we will let you know when it's back on. Visit punchline.com for updates as well as news, merch, and other upcoming tour dates. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunder at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app, and we'll be back next week with another episode of One Hit Thunder.